I'm Bishop Sherman Young. Each week, the Word Break podcast answers questions about God, faith, and other spiritual issues. Here is this week's message. Plead the blood of Jesus. Well, what is that? I want to talk about that for a few minutes today for a couple of reasons I think that are important. My daughter, who travels for a living, uh, sent me a picture a couple of three weeks ago of something she had not noticed. Although she frequents hotels, the popular chains, the Hilton and the Marriott brands, she did not know that inside of the nightstand, and they've done this for many years, the Marriott Hotel has a copy of the Holy Bible that's been put there by the Gideons. But then they also have uh, a copy of the Book of Mormon. And she was shocked to see that because a lot of people don't know that the leading, one of the leading families in the Mormon community is the Marriott family. Uh, Bill Marriott and all of the Marriotts are Mormon. I also want to do this because some of our young people, um, someone was talking to me a few days ago about the curriculum in school. Because in school, they will study the traditions of Islam and the Muslim community because they say that that's cultural. And because there are so many nations, especially in the Middle East, where that is a national religion, and even censorship is practiced so that Christianity or other religions cannot be preached there. And so they will study the things about Arabic nations and consider that to be okay. Um, but not Christianity because they said that's not a culture. So in the public schools and maybe some private, I'm not sure, the young people are getting high exposure to the Muslim ways, the history of Islam, but not Christianity. Now people who are Christians get upset about that because we believe in creation and the textbooks now boldly talk about evolution as a proven fact. When we were in school, they called it a hypothesis, a theory. But now they say it's proven that men and women came from apes. And of course, they talk about other types of evolution. Well, the church has been booted out of the curriculum. The only hole that we had for many years, many, many years, was when they would include the initials B.C. before the birth of Jesus. So when they talked about the Persians or they talked about Greece, they would have 300 B.C., meaning before Christ. Well, they've taken that out now, and they put BCE, before Common Era, which means before the Roman Empire was made popular, and before there was all of what we know now as modern civilization. So, before Christ is gone, 
and before common error has been placed there. Christians get upset about that. You know, we used to be upset about no prayer in the school. Now we have all these other things going. And there are many Christians who are sympathizers that say, well, I don't see anything really wrong with it because it represents some good that's going on in the world. The problem is I've never heard anyone talk about the blood of Muhammad. I've never read or heard preached or taught anywhere that Muhammad bled for me. A lot of Christians are upset. They say, well, the, the, the create, they talk about evolution, but the creation is not in the textbook. But it's not really about the creation. It's about the resurrection. You say, well, here's some Christian sympathizers would say, well, maybe God created everything and then it evolved after God created it. But the word of God does not back that up. The word of God declares that God made man. He didn't make apes and then the apes became men. If that were the case, the word of God would have cited that in some way. So let's talk about the blood and why all men must come to the cross. Let me go on the record and say, I am not throwing off on any religion. I'm not throwing off on any religious leader. I believe that they've all had some good things to say and brought some good contributions to humanity. I believe that even when we talk about Islam, for example, that there are many good things in the Quran it says many good things and endorses many good uh, characteristics for good lifestyle. I believe that that's right. But except Muhammad come to Jesus, he cannot be saved. It is about the virgin birth. It is about the blood of Jesus. And it is about the resurrection. No other religious leader on the face of the earth in history has ever made those three claims. They've never claimed to be born to a virgin, which means that there was no sperm involved. They've never claimed that their blood had any authority or power. Nor have they ever claimed that they rose from the dead. Go to their tomb, and the tomb is full. Find the grave of Jesus, and it's empty. What we have to recognize is that our faith is not based on some intellectual exercises or how the Bible is written or how old it is, and the Bible is a great book. It took 1,500 years. It covers some, some time from Adam to the future took 1,500 years to put it together with many writers. It's a great book. But it is more than a book. It is the word of God. And the way we know it 
that it's the word of God is because we use it and it works. Other books, the Book of Mormon, the Quran, other books may have useful information, but they don't even claim to bring healing to your sick body. They don't even claim to be a blessing to your life when you need a breakthrough. That comes from the word of God. Well, let me take a moment and do that. Luke 22, verse 19 and 20. I provided it for you from the Holman Christian Standard Bible. And Jesus, he and Jesus took bread and gave thanks and broke it, gave it to them and said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup. Church, would you say he took the cup? Yes, after supper and said, this cup is the new covenant established by my blood. It, meaning my blood, is shed for you. Jesus suffered pain in his body for the healing of our bodies. Two things happened that night in the upper room. He took bread and he took the fruit of the vine. Now, they were already there on the table. Ushers, you may rest. They were already there on the table. The bread was there and the fruit of the vine or the wine was there already on the table. The reason they were on the table is because they had just completed the celebration of the Passover. And we'll talk about the Passover in a minute. He didn't have to bring in bread. It was not special bread. It was the same bread. And it was the same wine. And the Passover had just been completed. Those of you that love art, you may notice in some paintings the caption at the bottom will read the Last Supper. And in other places, it will read the Lord's Supper. Now, all 12 of the disciples were there with Jesus as they did something that he did with them every year, as all Jews did. They celebrated the Passover. This time, after the Passover, Jesus began to talk about being betrayed. One of you is going to betray me. And you remember it was Judas. He dismisses Judas from the room. So now there are 12 people there. There were 13 originally. There was the 12 disciples or apostles and Jesus. Now that Judas has been dismissed, there are only 12. There's Jesus and the 11. Then he takes the same bread and the same wine. And he says to them, I'm going to institute now something new that I want you to do from this night forward to remember me. Now, think about this in terms of other religious leaders that I've never heard do anything like this. Jesus said, until the end of time, you as my believers do what I am about to do. And he took bread, same bread, it's very important that it's the same bread, and the same wine, and he did what we just read. Now, 
He broke the bread. Church, would you say he broke the bread? That is symbolic of his body needing to be broken. You see, they didn't just crucify Jesus. They beat pieces of his flesh from his body before they crucified him. This wasn't an ordinary capital punishment. The thieves, one on the right and the other on the left, that was ordinary crucifixion. They led them out. They, they maybe bruised them or something, but they did not scourge them or pull flesh from their bones. Jesus had little pieces of meat or flesh snatched out of his body before they crucified him. They used a whip that's called a scourge, and that's where you take strips of leather and plait them together. Remember when mama used to plait the switches before she whipped you? And she'd make you go and get the switches. And then to, to give them that extra punch, she'd plait them together like she'd plait a little girl's hair. Well, that's the way they did the leather. And then at the end of the leather, they would attach bone chips and animal teeth so that when the, when the one doing the scourging swung it around, it would sink into your skin. And he'd let it sink in there real good. And then he'd snatch it so that it would pull little pieces of flesh from your body. Well, why were they doing that? Because that is symbolic of how many of us gets our own peace. He broke the bread so that we would know that every one of us has some of Jesus. Everybody gets a piece of his body. Well, why do we need that? With his stripes, we are. He was beaten on his body so that my body could be healed. Listen. That's the only reason. Jesus came in the world teaching, preaching, and healing. So when his body is beaten, the pain, the agony, and the suffering was so that we could seek our healing when our bodies are hurting and in pain and in agony. That was for the physical body. So the bread represents my healing. Are you with me? But that's not the end of the story. Blood will come from his body. And the blood is for my sins. It can wash away the sin of every man and woman ever born. I have never heard any religious leader make that claim. Have you? I've never heard the Dalai Lama say that that would work, that he would do that. I've never heard him, as often as he visits the United States, offer to die for anybody. Jesus died for everybody. Now, buckle your seatbelt. He died for everybody, whether they accept it or not. He died for the sins of every, pe every person even the ones who try to compete with him because it ain't no competition. I have to learn as, as, a, as a, a citizen living in post-modernity, 
I have to learn how to listen to what is good with other leaders and maybe apply some of that to my own life experience without thinking they are a substitute for Jesus Christ. They are not. There has never been a teacher, preacher, prophet, or human being born that can compete with Jesus. I should have gotten a better amen than that. Here's what the Bible said, that it might be, Matthew 8, 17, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, he himself took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses. Tell your neighbor, tell your neighbor, neighbor, if Jesus took my sickness and bore my sickness, then I shouldn't have to bear it. Healing belongs to us. Are you hearing me? The one, one of the things that people really want to do now is take away the teachings concerning healing. But the truth is, even if God uses the doctor to help you get well, that's still God. The doctors will tell you they can't heal, they can treat, they can help ease it, but healing comes from God. And the Christian has the right to be healed. Well, 1 Peter 2.24 said, Who himself bore, watch this, our sins in his own body on the tree that we having died to sin might live to righteousness. By whose stripes you were healed. Healing is not anything you get. It's something you already have. Don't ever say, I'm going down front to be prayed for so I can get healed. You don't have to get it. It's already yours. It already belongs to you as a child of God, and it belongs to you because your creator died in your place, suffered in your place. See, that's another deal. Please hear me. No religious leader ever claimed to create the heavens and the earth. But the Bible said about Jesus, in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God and the word was God. And the Bible said, and without him, Jesus, was not anything made that was made. So Jesus is the creator of all that we know. And Jesus is the originator of all that we know. He is the beginning, the middle, and the end of everything that we know. Therefore, when you talk about Jesus, you're not talking about a good man. You're not talking about a great philosopher or a great teacher. You're really not talking about a religious leader. Jesus is God. I wish I had a witness. I don't really get upset. Now, I'm a Trinitarian. I believe in God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost. Anybody here with me? I believe that. But I don't really get upset with my friends who want to do everything in the name of Jesus only. Say, so, well, you got to be baptized in Jesus' name or you ain't been baptized right now. I baptize in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Ghost because that is right. But I don't get mad because somebody else baptizes in Jesus' name because the Bible says in him dwells the fullness of the Godhead bodily. When you say God the Father, that's Jesus. 
When you say God the Son, that's Jesus. When you say God the Holy Ghost, that's Jesus. So even if you think you're throwing off on me because I believe in the Father, Son, the Holy Ghost, and you only believe in Jesus, when you said Jesus, you said all you can say about God. Jesus himself said, I and the Father are one. And then Jesus said, I'm going away and prepare a place for you. And he said, and, and then I'm going to send you another comforter. But then a few verses later, he said, I will come to you. So Jesus is the Father, Jesus is the Son, and Jesus is the Holy Ghost. You can't separate him. You can't break him down. But because the Bible speaks about those three in one, that's why I believe the way I believe. I believe that there is a father that answers my prayers. But I don't think my prayers even gets in my father's ear unless I say in the name of Jesus. And I don't even know how to pray except the Holy Ghost help me. So I need God the Father. I need God the Son. I need God the Holy Ghost. But since that's too complicated for my, my little mind to really understand, I just call on the name of Jesus. Understand the blood of Jesus made that possible. And when you talk about pleading the blood, it's not a begging plea. Like somebody would beg you, please, please, please. See, the church got confused on that, and many people still stand confused on it. Even when they pray public prayers, they, they're just begging God, Lord, please. Please, G, please, Lord. People, I've heard people in church pray, you know, Lord, come by here if you don't stay long. Now, what kind of God am I serving that ain't got time for me? And he's got to stop by Carver on his way somewhere else. That's not the God that I serve. He abides with me. He lives with me. I wish I had a witness. I, I don't, you don't hear me singing songs like, you know, don't pass me by. He ain't going to pass you by because he's not on his way anywhere. He's already everywhere. Where could he go? He doesn't come by Bessemer on his way to Mobile. He was at my house when I woke up in Covington, Georgia this morning. When I went to worship in Conyers, I left him at my house, but he met me at the church in Conyers. And rode with me from my house to Conyers. Now, I left him in Covington and in Conyers, but he rode with me. And when I got to Bessemer, he met me when I got here. When I got here, he met me, although he rode with me. And although I left him in Conyers and in Covington. And when I leave here, I'm going to leave him here. But he'll ride with me back to Georgia. And he'll meet me when I get there. Because he is everywhere. So I don't have to beg him for a favor. I don't have to beg him for candy. I don't have to beg him for a slice of cake. If you're not careful, religion will have you thinking that God really doesn't want to bless you. But if you, if you beg him hard enough, he might take a liking to you and do something for you. I wish I had a witness. Understand, it's not about religion, it's about a relationship. You love your children and you have what they need and want. You don't mind giving them what they ask for. 
The only time you mind giving them what they ask for is when they haven't been acting right. But see, that's where you and God are different. Because God has something called grace and mercy. God is patient and loving. You don't want to admit it, but you're a little more judgmental than God. You want your kids to earn. God wants to give. You saying, are you saying that God will bless us no matter what we do? I'm saying that God will answer your prayers whether he does it today or a year from today. But he is in the mindset of blessing his children. When we talk about the blood of Jesus, listen, it's not a begging plea. I, I plead the blood. No. You, have you ever noticed in a, in a court of law that when the judge is on the bench and you or whomever and your attorney is standing down before the bench, the judge will say, how do you plead? Have you ever heard an attorney say in the court, Your Honor, today uh, we'd like to enter a plea? You see, it has to do not with begging, but it's, it's a court environment. It has to do with arguing your case. It has to do with presenting your case. So when you talk about pleading the blood, you're not begging. See, that's what threw me off when I first heard it. I couldn't wrap my mind around it. That's, it's not about you begging God. It's about understanding that the blood is your substitute. How do you plead? Guilty or not guilty? <laughs> your Honor, I plead the blood. Okay, let me try it again. You didn't get it. How, you said, how, how do you, God the Father is the ultimate judge. How do you plead? <laughs> are you guilty or are you innocent? Your Honor, I'm neither one. I don't plead guilty. And I don't plead innocent. I plead the blood. I don't have a witness. <laughs> Did you do it? Yes. I done it. But something's wrong, Father. <laughs> I was born a sinner. See, some of what is wrong with us ain't our fault. It's Adam's fault. I, I, can you walk with me right here? I mean, the truth is, I know I wish I was better, but there's some stuff I don't even know where it came from. Come on now. Let, let me put it where some of y'all can get it that's got bad tempers. Where did that impatience come from? What about some of you that's shy and bashful? Let's talk about your self-consciousness. Oh, I, I, I can't do anything in church. I, I'm, I'm bashful. But yet you can be a cheerleader or a drum majorette. Or you can play sports in front of a crowd. You can run a football or block and tackle, but you can't stand up at church and give a testimony. Where did that shyness come from? There are some things inside of us that are just in there because we're human. Tendencies. You don't want to pray right here, but 
likes and dislikes because we're human. So the truth is, if you had been Adam, you probably would have made a better choice. But you're not. And because you were born human, I have to plead the blood. Because yes, I did it, but like Paul said, the good that I know I ought to do, oftentimes I don't do it. And the bad I know I ought not to do, I find myself doing that's called being human. I wish I had some help. See, Jesus didn't die so we could be perfect. Because if he had done that, the cross would be a failure. Because no Christian is perfect. I don't have a help. I don't have a help. Jesus died because we are not perfect. And he shed his blood because we are not perfect. And he gave his life because we are not perfect. So when we go to God in prayer, we don't need to go in with this guilt complex. We don't need to go in before the throne of God ashamed and embarrassed. Because the Bible said, let us come boldly to the throne of grace. That we might obtain grace and mercy in the time of need. Jesus said, whatsoever you, you imperfect one, ask the Father in my name, in my name, he will do it. Well, why would he do it when we're not perfect? Because the blood was shed to make up for your lack of perfection. See, you can't live up to the standard because you don't know what the standard is. Do you know why God gave them the Ten Commandments? He didn't give them the Ten Commandments so they could keep them. He gave them the Ten Commandments so they could see how bad they were. Then he said, if you break one, you've broken all of them. Now, let's, let's I mean, look at you. You, you, don't, you don't steal. You don't kill. You don't commit adultery. You, you don't have a, idle gods in your house. You're doing good on nine of them. But then there's one that said, don't bear false witness, which means don't lie. Now, you struggle with that one a little bit. So much do you struggle with it until you've got categories for your lying. you got little white lies. But you say everybody does that. You know, so your line is either bad line or good line. But we struggle. And because you told a police officer a lie that the reason you were speeding was because your auntie is in Brookwood Hospital. And they called the family in. Your auntie died four years ago. We were all at the funeral. Now, because you told the police officer that lie, whether it's white or black, now you've committed adultery, you have an idol god in your house, and you kill somebody. You say, uh-uh, uh-uh, I ain't that bad. Oh, yeah. If you break one, you're guilty of all. Which means in the court of divine justice, you get the same sentence as a murderer. Here's a man that killed 15 
people. He raped them and killed them. And here you are telling the police officer a lie about auntie. And the two of y'all get the same sentence. They give him 15 life sentences. And so do you. You get the same 15. You see how messed up that is? Don't you think that's wrong? Okay, I heard five people. Tell you what, the rest of y'all, go on down to the court. And just tell the system down there, put you in prison for 15 life sentences. That's not fair, is it? Is that fair? That you talking about an auntie that's already dead and decayed. You told a lie to keep from getting a ticket because you don't want the points on your insurance. And a serial killer is in the next courtroom. And the judge said, what do we do for judges that hand out sentences like that? Here's a judge, all you did was tell a police officer a lie, and he gives you a prison sentence equal to a murderer. What do we do with judges like that? A jurist like that has to be thrown off the bench. He's a hanging judge. Well, God is not a hanging judge. I, I'll get a witness in a minute. So the blood, to plead the blood is to enter the blood as your plea. Man, you stand before God and they start reading those charges off. How do you plead? Well, you can't lie to God. Those charges are real. They're authentic. You might as well just sign the document right under sign right here for these charges because you did it. But you don't plead guilty and you don't plead innocent because that wouldn't be true. But there's a third plea. I wish I had my crowd. There's a third plea that I enter in prayer. Because when I go before God in prayer, I'm in my secret closet. And in the secret closet, everything comes out. I can't hide anything. I can't tweak anything. I can't even explain anything. Guilty is guilty. So I don't plead guilty. And I can't plead innocent. There's a third category. And it's not called what, what's that other con, uh, category? No contest. What else do they call it? It's a Spanish? Is it no comprend? Oh, no, what is it? No. Uh, Y'all know what it is. When you talk to your, your lawyer the last time, say, well, what you can do is just plead this and they'll just give you a fine. The blood of Jesus. Three things I want to say and let's go home. The blood of Jesus is for our protection. Can you say protection? Here's what it says in Exodus 12, 13. Now the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. Remember when they killed the lamb, the Passover lamb? And when I see the blood, God said, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And the plague shall not be on you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. So this day shall be to you a memorial and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generation. The blood of Jesus is for your protection. Do you know Satan cannot touch you? 
Remember when that death angel flew over Egypt and struck the firstborn of every house, whether they were babies or senior citizens? But every time that death angel saw on the front porch a spot of blood, say a spot of blood. Say it again, a what? Spot. The house wasn't covered in blood. Just a spot on the front porch. He was powerless to kill those in that house. Satan considered you last night. He was in your neighborhood last night. He was looking for murder, looking for rape, looking for rob. He was looking to bring destruction in your neighborhood. He went up your street last night looking for somebody to mess up, devour, somebody to jack up. But when he got to your house, uh-uh, ain't no blood on your porch. You were in that house. Uh, and ain't no spot of blood on you. You're covered. I don't have any help here. I'm wearing a cassock today. The cassock is the garment of a slave. For 2,000 years or better, slaves that work in the homes of wealthy people were identified by their cassock. It's the garment of a slave. The reason why we wear them as clergy, as, and bishops especially, is because, and sometimes I'll see a preacher that doesn't know any better, and he's got on a cassock, but it stops like right here. That's a miniskirt for a cassock. A cassock is supposed to go all the way down to your shoes because it is the symbol of the blood of Jesus. That you're covered from my neck to my shoes. The blood of Jesus. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Baby, your life is covered. I don't have a witness. You, God bless those people on the Gulf. We need to pray for them before we leave today. What devastation. Have you ever seen anything like that? And you know what's even worse? When your insurance won't cover it. I'm looking for somebody that knows what it is. To think that you're covered and you call your agent and they say, oh, we don't cover that. The blood is your covering. <laughs> not, not just the little stuff, but the big stuff. Not just when you stomp your toe in your life and you're and you, and you in the wrong place at the wrong time and something happened, but the big stuff. When you go to the doctor and he says it's incurable, the big stuff, when you get a bill that you weren't looking for and it's going to drain all of your savings, the big stuff, when you were counting on a breakthrough, but the breakthrough went to somebody else because of office politics, the big stuff, he covers it all. But not only is it for your protection, I'm through, the blood is the promise of a new day. It provides a promise. Somebody say promise. Here's what he said to them also about that blood in Exodus 12. This month shall be your beginning of months. Oh, I was trying not to preach, but I think I'm going to get loose right about up in here. 
it shall be the first month of the year to you. All right, let me be technical, then I'm going to testify. This is September 2017. Around September 20th, this month will be Rosh Hashanah, which is the Jewish New Year, which is the month he's talking about. It was in the month of September that the blood was put on the front porch and the death angel passed over. I said it was in September. Well, I've been technical. I think I need to testify. The truth of the matter is, if you receive this word today, this is going to be your Rosh Hashanah. This is going to be your new year before January gets here. God doesn't have to wait on the calendar to give you an annual blessing. God is not waiting on watch night and New Year's Eve service before he hears your prayer request your new year can begin right now. I like that. I like that about God. Because other folks say you got to wait until your contract is over. Or you got to wait until your contract kicks in. I like this about God. Wherever you are right now, whatever you're going through right now, whatever is happening right now, God can give you a new beginning right now. Somebody needs a new beginning in their marriage. Somebody needs a new beginning in their life. Somebody needs a new beginning in their income. Somebody needs a new beginning in their health. Somebody needs a new beginning in their mind. God is able to give you a new year right now. Don't mess with me. I'm this close to shouting right now. If you push me, I'm going to throw this microphone down and do a Holy Ghost shuffle right there. Don't mess with me. I don't mind testifying. There have been times I needed a new year in the middle of the old year. I couldn't wait until December 31st. I had to, I had to mark my territory right then. Right now, September 3rd. Was the 3rd of September, day I always remember. And that's what the temptation said. David Ruffin said it was the day that my daddy died. Listen, I don't care about Papa being a rolling stone. I have a father that's better than your Papa. That's better than Big Daddy. That's better than Sugar Daddy. I've got a Papa, a father. Touch somebody, tell them this month. You didn't do it fast enough. Touch somebody, tell them this month. T tell them I'm getting a second win this month. Tell them I'm getting a miracle this month. Tell them I'm getting a breakthrough this month. You know why? The blood of Jesus is the beginning of a new year. I didn't mean to do that. But somebody here feel like I feel. Somebody here is right at the end. 
I'm tired of the same old, same old. I'm tired of the same result. I'm tired of living in the same situation. I'm tired of the same mess. I need a new beginning that comes from the blood. See, some folk don't know what I'm talking about. But, but somebody's ready for a new start. Hallelujah. Somebody's ready for a new beginning. Somebody's ready to give birth. Somebody's ready for a new setup. Hallelujah. know what you're waiting on. You need to go on and celebrate what God is doing already. Don't wait until the battle is over. You need to shout now. Shout now. Shout now. Shout now. But watch this. Watch this. Not only is it your protection, say my protection. Uh-huh. Say my uh-uh. Keep stay up, stay up. Say my protection. Not only is it my promise for a new year, say my promise. But then the blood provides a witness. You know what a witness is? A testimony. Over the door. Hey, look at me. Look at Don't worry about writing. I'll give it to you later. Look at me. Somebody say over the door. I don't want you to say door, D-O-O-R. I want you to say it like we said in the hood, over the door. You know what that means? That means when the folk in the neighborhood the next morning passed by your house, they knew you were all right. Because they could see it on the door. I'm looking at you right now. I know you are right. Because the blood is your witness. The blood is your testimony. I want you to tell somebody it's all right. Right now. Right now. I'm delivered right now. I'm healed right now. I'm free right now. Jesus, the blood of Jesus. I plead the blood. I'm delivered in the blood. I'm free in the blood. (whistles) 
You know? You know, I found out my praise is a down payment on my full deliverance. Hallelujah. The blood promises. The blood protects. The reason I'm with Jesus is because his blood washed my sins away. Oh, his blood. Come to Jesus.